Okay, here we go. Life of a Nomad. Take one. Now, I was teasing my lady last night that she looked like the gothic chick at Applebee's or she should try. And so I made up a little song about it. And actually, it actually has nothing to do with anything, but I thought it was a really good start of a song called uh, Gothic Chick at Applebee's. Gothic Chick at Applebee's, she'll bring you to your knees. The Gothic Chick at Applebee's, she'll bring you to your knees. da na 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 So something to that, something kind of along those lines. I don't know. It's in the early draft stages, but... Um, when this comes out, it'll be Tuesday. So happy Tuesday, which is a weird thing to say. I don't know. Tuesday is that day of the week that, you know, there's really nothing cool about it, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it is what it is. Happy Tuesday. And, uh, waiting at the light here... I um, I found this spider in my car who <clears throat> he decided to um, kind of hitch a ride with. Well, he broke into my car. Okay, let's just call it what it is. I found him. He was snuggling up to a crack in my windshield that was spidering out. And I think he was kind of had the hots for it. So he was climbing across my windshield and just trying to put the moves on this crack in my windshield. So I you know, didn't want to hurt the little guy, so I just tried to scoop him out, and he just did some kind of, like, Mission Impossible, like, repelling job from the windshield down to underneath the seat, and he was gone, like, he was out, and this is a ferocious looking, like, this is one of those hairy ones that, um, you know, he probably is just looking for, like, little other little bugs to eat. Maybe some aphids or, you know, mosquito larva or something. But he looked like he'd fuck you up, too. Like, he just, you know, he'd be like, you'd just be driving along and he'd just jump on your shoulders and cover your eyes, you know. And then you'd just be, you'd just run into a tree or something, which is bullshit. But, um, but the good news is, see... Uh, he popped out, he came back and at this turn light, he came out from the, uh, the dashboard and I, I launched him. I said, okay, you live in Fair Oaks now, you little fucker. So we went from a good, the good life in Wilton, his family, I'm sure misses him to now he's a city boy. He's a city boy in Fair Oaks. So sorry, buddy. But that's just the way it goes. I didn't, I don't know. I mean, you're still a one piece. Let's just look at it that way. You, you know, in, in the world of spiders, you're probably a, um, you know, a world-class adventurer now. Like, they're probably talking, like, they're probably making stories about you and stuff like that. You know, like, oh, he was a, he was a solid guy, you know. And he, you know, ended up doing what he wanted to do, seeing the world. And uh, anyway, life of a spider. Who would have thought? But um, so after, let's see, August, September. So after Cash for Clunkers happened and uh, I was fully invested in 
the car business is an ethos and a pathos. Um, I, I became that guy, you know, like I found this is my tribe. Like these are my people. These are the people that can't really function in normal situations and normal um, jobs. You know, they have to, they have to kind of live on the fringes, and uh, they have to cre- they have to be bigger than the situation. And 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 these are the B people. These are the ones in the B video with the little girl in the bee costume and everywhere she went she was turned away because she was dressed as a bee until she finally found she went through the gates and there they were the whole bee family the bee civilization the bee community all in bee suits all these whack jobs all these other crazies in bee suits and uh uh that's what i found that you know i found my bee people so um not that it really changed my personality much but what had happened was Cash for Clunkers kind of, the program came and went and everyone reaped the benefits and it was a just a free-for-all. It was just a knockdown, drag-out, just, you know, you get done at the end of the month, you dust yourself off, you run out the last remaining days of the month of August and then you call it a, call it a month. You make your money. But um, what kind of really indoctrinated me into the whole experience was kind of one of the last deals I did that month. Uh, not, no, it wasn't August. This was now we, well, this was in and around that, that time period, but this was a used car and we were again, wrapping up the month. It was, uh, I remember it was an appointment. No, no, it wasn't an appointment. I think it was just a fresh up came in his name was Juan, and I had sold. I ended up selling this guy a few cars. Um, you get those people; they're just return customers. They're they like you, um, regardless of the mathematics of the situation. Um, they will buy from you because of the rule. Like if they like you, they'll listen to you. If they listen to you, they'll believe you. If they believe you, they'll buy from you. That's you know that's on the. Uh, that's on the stone tablet of car salesmanship. You know, that that is a time-tested truism about the business that will never go away. But, so, it was a late-night deal. Um, this was, at this, I, this was after, I'm going to call this on the timeline, timeline, after Cash for Clunkers. And... This was this for the sake of uh, for the sake of the argument. We'll call it September. Although uh, I remember my uh, was that oh nine no it was the following year. Anyway, I got done with the deal. I made the deal again. It was like ten o'clock at night nine nine ten o'clock at night. The people were in finance. I took the car back to detail. All the detail staff had gone home. And so we rolled up our sleeves and I started to, I was about ready to um, start cleaning this car. And I, I, I get a nudge from uh, my buddy Joe, who's now the GM of uh, this Dublin uh, car group, this uh, dealership group um, out in the Bay Area. And uh, he needed, what was it? 
Yeah, he needed half a deal to hit his bonus. So this was the first time I'd ever been issued kind of this opportunity where they would cash me out for half a deal. So I was going to make a couple hundred bucks on this deal because um, I don't recall, I don't think I was in the bonus territory at this point. And he said that he needed half a deal. He'd hit his bonus. He'd cash me out uh, a hundred or a couple hundred, I, some something to that effect. But but what had what had transpired was my other buddy Hubert, one of my favorite people in the whole world, Hubert Amira, uh, the uh, Assyrian king. He just looks like he looks like royalty. Just this bald. He looks like the guy in like the mummy movies with Brendan Fraser that um, was like the pharaoh, just kind of like just this menace. He didn't look menacing, but he looked regal and bald and Assyrian. But he was the coolest pothead you'll ever meet. I think everybody that meets him wants him to be their best friend. And in a way, he kind of is. But Hubert, ever since I had started, I had uh, always, you know, he'd always ask, hey, you want to go smoke? You want to go smoke? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Good. Last time I'd smoked, like smoked, like not cigarettes, smoked, was the week before, or the week of September 11th, 2001, uh, when my first daughter was about to she was about three september october november december three months from being born and i'm looking at the twin towers coming down and i had somehow rounded up a joint smoked a little bit and now was going to into going into a state of anxiety and paranoia that i'm bringing somebody into the world as as uh you know the Twin Towers are falling and there's, you know, just all this shit going on in the world. But so I, so I went on a nice dry run for about eight years. Well, here we are back in September and Hubert's like, come on. Okay. He goes, you sure you don't want, I go, you know what? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. And so me, Joe and Hubert all passed around this doobie at 1030 at night and uh, that was the official, that was official. That was the doc- re-indoctrination of me uh, into the world, the subculture of the car salesman. Um, and man, there, it was like um, being reintroduced to like a, your best friend, like, all of a sudden, like, I was laughing hysterically. I couldn't even keep it together. Matter of fact, I got a call from finance. Enrique and finance called me. John Leader to finance. Because he had sold him some product I had to administer to the car. So I get in there, fresh from smoking. I probably reeked like a reggae band. Walked into this tiny, cramped little office with Juan and his whole family. And they're signing paperwork. And I probably brought a cloud of weed in there that would have friggin' you know, would have, uh, got Peter Tosh excited, but, um, it then, it it then occurred to me, like, I can't deliver this car. I have to deliver this car, but I can't deliver this car. So 
since Joe was buying half the deal, but he still needed half the deal, I said, man, you just, just please deliver this car. Like, I can't, I, I can't function right now, and I left. And so that was that. I was, uh, I was officially a car salesman. Not that they're all potheads. Uh, matter of fact, very few of them are. Joe was very fitness oriented. I was really surprised, like at the fitness levels of the, you know, these. Again, now we're we're going through the changing of the guard here. This was two thousand nine, and it wasn't that stereotypical, like wide tied, you know, that awful tie that's you know, halfway, it's only covering halfway down the shirt and, uh, some bad slacks and, you know, sweat stains and just, uh, condescending talk and, uh, chain smoking, hung over, you know, that typical car salesman guy vibe. This was a new breed, and these guys were fitness-oriented, and they were drinking protein drinks and uh, working out of the gym. Well, well, I mean, I took the other, I took the other route. So Hubert now was my buddy. Matter of fact, he was on our. It was the three of us. It was me, Hubert, and Joe on on that team, if I if I recall. Um, and so I spent most of you know cash for clunkers. I was high. I was negotiating deals in the booth just uh high as fuck just clowning on people just talking shit is this your email soccer king 209 at yahoo.com i have the i have the king of soccer in my booth i always have to get an email and i just tease these poor people with their you know everyone's got that funky ass little email insignia but but conversely um, another symptom of the carbons is the uh, specter of divorce because you work so many hours and you are such a I don't know you just you're just going constantly and, and everything you do nothing makes sense and uh, you're working late and you're, uh, you're 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 saying these crazy things you're calling people roaches what's a roach well a roach is bad credit it's horrible, but it is. It's what it is. Uh, one-legged buyers, you know, somebody comes in without his wife, but I, I need to talk to my wife. Like, all this slang, all this weird, you know, strange, uh, you know, language that was surfacing. But that wasn't what, that wasn't what dissolved, ultimately dissolved my marriage. And my marriage is a whole other thing. Like, it's not even... I. Uh, almost 10 years almost 10 years and uh I, for me to realize i wasn't this suburban guy that um we were con- we were told that it, or we were sold on on the concept we were you know you get sold on this con- i i got sold on it I, I can't speak for everybody but it wasn't me i'm not interested in suburban people i'm not interested in soccer moms and minivans and you know, fertilizing lawns and waving to the neighbor in my Bermuda shorts as I run the hose. You know, I'm just, I'm, I, I couldn't place it. It was like that. It was like being on that plane to New York. I didn't know what was going on. There was something wrong, but I couldn't figure it out right away. And it was just the mere fact that I'm not this guy. I'm this other guy. You know, I'm this guy at the car, 
car lot. I'm I'm this car salesman. That doesn't make sense. But 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 the fallout of that came in the form of well now I I'm divorced. This was creeping into October and uh that uh, the month I think the month of October it was official. So we had separated um tried to move us into bigger uh accommodations. The family was growing. Um my kids, uh, now I had three kids and the little two bedroom I'd bought eight years earlier wasn't, I didn't feel was cutting and I made some rash decisions. I put us in a, I rented a house that was bigger, but I couldn't afford it. So that just was the, that was the spark that ignited the powder keg. And that was what dissolved, you know, among many other things that dissolved our, our marriage. And I was now just this uh, statistic that sold cars and did my car salesman thing and but by that I mean it's really I just began the solo journey and I had to find another place to live an affordable place to live and uh, so that that's where my nomadic journey really started again so I became this uh, rambling man I, I, I first I roommated in, uh, in, a, te- in a house uh, in series that was ultimately being foreclosed on and uh, of course again this is 2009 so everyone's dealing with the fallout of the real estate scam and uh, people lose coming to grips losing their houses but staying in those houses that they're not paying for so i stayed in this house for a couple months until my buddy hubert he had his own house he had a a whole three-bedroom house three or four bed i don't know that um nobody was there they left they bought another place this they were leaving this one behind this was a victim of the uh, crisis, the foreclosure. So I said, I'll rent that place. I rented that place. I rented that place. And I had it all to myself. Of course, now everything was taken out. I had to get it cleaned. I hired, you know, this was like, this was like the house. Not, I mean... To a certain point, it was like the house in Fight Club, but it wasn't. It wasn't to the extreme that the house in Fight Club was like. But this was, again, stripped down, nothing in it. You know, stacks of stuff kind of interspersed throughout the house. No furniture. Um, There was a I think I had a couch. I dragged a couch from somewhere. I'm always dragging a couch. I'm always finding and dragging a couch in somewhere. But that was it. Um, I had a mattress I threw in on the floor of another room. And the whole place was mine. It was Divorce Dad Commons. It was better than going to the Divorce Dad Arms apartment. Where all the, you know, the guys that uh, started to you know, started their post-marriage lives, you know, those sad, poor, 
guys in their v-necks that you know flip through dating apps and uh talk about finding a good woman and all that awful stuff i was just on a different journey so i'm living in the fight club house hubert's house and it's it stays numbered it's going into foreclosure but i don't care i put my uh, i put some utilities in my name and i became a squatter so that's what happened so i um so i had the run of the place for a month or two until um Larry Turner showed up. Larry Turner was probably the greatest talker I've ever seen in the business. Um he was about 58, maybe 57, bald, black and loud, and he was part of a black biker gang. And uh he invited me to one of their chapter meetings. I said, "I don't know if that's a good idea, but um but he was just that guy, you know. He was loud. He was addicted to Vicodin. He chain smoked. He um, his parties started at 8 a.m. When you're walking to work, when you're walking out of the out of the driveway to go to work at 8 a.m., he's walking in from being up all night. You know, he just got back from you know Rayleigh's when they opened to get a bucket of chicken and a bottle of vodka with a couple of hookers. And brought him in and started the party again in the house. Because he, he, he was just coming out of a marriage as well. He was done with his marriage. And uh, that was that. We were now two divorced dads. But he, you know, that whole circus was like per, in his peripheral vision. Like his main focus. Of course, he, he was killing it. He was out on the front. This was a guy, though, that had desk management experience. This guy used to be a desk manager. He knew all about finance. Uh, he didn't come off looking that way, but he was a, an assassin out on the lot. Just, you know, just saying whatever came to his head. He was like this black, bald version of Jim Bowles. You know, hey, folks, welcome to San Diego. What the fuck? Where are you going? You got to take a shit? What's going on? Just whatever popped into his head. But he would, he would just, he would just break it off in these people, you know? You just fucking just would rip their faces off. Just didn't dis, didn't discount a dime. Sold mostly used cars. Just making just grips of cash. But this was my roommate, and he was also a pimp, uh, like literally, like a pimp. So he'd call up. He'd he'd be like, "I got some fat bitches. I got. I can call up. Come over here and suck your dick." I'm like, well, that's not really necessary, Larry. But I appreciate that. And so, sure enough, a couple of these gigantic women would show up and just, they would, took up the whole door jam when they came in. And uh, he, it, remember one night we were, um, you know, he invited these girls over. And they were really cool girls. They were big girls, like big, like big girls, like linebackers, like defensive end type stuff. Like, and through the course of the evening, he would force feed him. Like, he literally, I had a, I had a, video of him climbing onto one of them as he as we sat on the couch he climbed up on up the front of one of them because they were tall they were big these are big girls it was like mount rushmore he was climbing up and he would rest on their shoulders but his crotch would be in their face and he would start force feeding all we had was mustard and oreos so he just started force feeding and mustard and oreos as they laughed hysterically so um Man, it was just bizarre. And then 
in the course of the evening, he ended up riding both of them like horses through the kitchen and just whooping their ass and just as they laughed hysterically. I think they were wearing heels. It was just weird. It was just interesting, funny. Um, but yeah, that was Larry Turner. Um, he, uh, I remember coming back from Tahoe once and uh, he had a line of guys coming out of one of the rooms because they were all paying a certain amount to get their their dick sucked by one of his girls. Uh, his ex-wife showed up one day, found another girl in bed with him. I mean, this is what Larry did. This was Larry's M.O. You know, we'd go to San Francisco and uh, he would be just screaming out the window of the cab. You know, he'd see somebody in a wheelchair and just go, once you go black, you go cripple. Just stuff like that. But this guy was an assassin, just an assassin, just killing it, killing it. But this was, this was my first roommate, my first real roommate for any length of time. And I went and so it took its toll because I had gone from being top dog. Now we were into the year 2010. This was June of 2010. And I went, I took top dog, sold the most cars, June of 2010. And July, I sold the least amount of cars after being a, with Larry for a few weeks. Uh, sold the least amount of cars I've ever sold. I went from top sales to lowest. And it was just, um, it was interesting. Yeah, very Blues Brothers type. Like if I was, if, you know, I was, I was Elwood to his Jake, you know. And, uh wasn't pretty but it was fun and but that's kind of like yeah that's life in the car business um so in a preventative measure i decided if i'm gonna not succumb to craziness and fatigue and um you know this this lifestyle i've got to get out of here so I, um, or Larry had left. No, Larry ended up leaving, I think, because I would, I, I, um, I received a call from, um, a real estate guy, some schmuck that thought he could get one over on me and said, uh, you know, you got to leave. I said, well, no, this is, you know, I've been renting this place. I've got an agreement. I've got bills in my name. I, I set it all up perfectly. And, and, uh, you know, I had bills in my name, and I said, uh, well, I'm not leaving. He said, well, then he offered me, I think he originally offered me like a 1000 I said, no, no. I held out. I ended up getting 2500 and uh, I ended up giving a 1000 to uh, Hubert, even though I was renting the place, but it was his, you know, opportunity that, that he gave me. And, and uh, you know, that's what Hubert inspired me to do. He, you know, he was that kind of guy. So I gave him a thousand of the twenty five hundred. I took fifteen hundred, and I got an apartment with uh, my other buddy Hector, Hector Herrera. And uh, he uh, he ended up being a really good friend of mine. Worked at Nissan with me, and uh, but he was a drinker, and I was a smoker now. So I would smoke, and he would drink his beer, and um, the only time that there was any kind of cause for because what would he was going he was he was coming out of divorce as well and he had his son i had my three kids 
and we would just hang out. And then after work, the apartment became the place to kind of bullshit and hang out and just kind of wrap up the evening. But what also happened was uh, we had a cool little downstairs neighbor who just got out of Chowchilla. And for those of you that don't understand that, what that means, she got out of prison. She just got out of prison, and she was a cholo. Lived downstairs with her, uh, I think it was her dad's apartment, and her brother lived with her. So it was her and her brother and her dad. And she'd always see you walk home and then come up. We, we were in the second floor apartment. And I would go in, and then she would follow me up, and she'd knock on the door. And then I'd open the door, and she'd say, you got any beer? I said, well, I don't have any beer. And Hector would see, and he'd offer a beer. She'd have a beer, and then she'd leave or come in or just act strange. But she was short, tatted up, had that long, curly hair that just went down past her ass. And uh, just looked like she could fuck you up. Her, you know, her hair was, like, pulled way back. Like, her eyelids were, like, straining, you know. And uh, so one night I remember... Man, she just, she liked to stop in. She liked to make those unannounced visits. And one night she came in and just invited herself in, got a beer. We were out on the back balcony with um, Hector, my buddy Randy, and was there one other, I think there was one other guy, maybe Pete or Jeff, I can't remember. But, uh, she was she just kind of inserted herself into the moment was leaning against one of the walls of the of the of the little balcony and looked straight at me and said i'll bet you got a big dick and that kind of like got everyone's attention including myself and i had to kind of stop and say to myself eh, well you know i wanted to answer honestly but i also didn't want to answer but she, before i could she said well i want to shave your balls and then I thought to myself, is this a good idea? Because I don't know if I'm putting a razor in this, this girl's hand. Cause she was probably like 25. And she, like I said, she she could fuck you up. But um, I almost, and then, you know, the fact that I was almost considering it, I'm not sure why. But um, I pictured myself kind of going through the routine. I thought better of it. Now... I'm going to hold off. I appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> we were all just kind of in this stunned silence that was trying to transition back into a normal, normalized conversation. But I figured, you know, if anything were to go wrong uh, physically or uh, just in general, like I don't need her or brother or dad uh, kind of becoming a fixture in our lives so i had to turn that offer down but this this now set the set the pace for my life as a salesman as an and as a nomad you know um so at that point um i was offered yet another place um after being with Hector for, it must have been, gosh, four or five months, um, my buddy Pete rented a house. And this this really kind of cemented my reputation as this, um, I don't know, just this 
uh, bug light for crazy people. Um, I could sell cars to them. I could live with them. I could handle them. I could deal with them. Not that I wanted to, not by choice, but this was this was my life. And Pete's house was uh, quite the experience. That that um, that was kind of everything. All the weirdness, all the Fight Club house type stuff, all the crazy Chowchilla women all rolled into one and pete was the facilitator of this deliberate insanity trip and i'm gonna touch on that in the next episode so click that damn subscribe button or don't maybe you lost your fingers in a lawn mowing accident i don't know use your stump but do the best you can and we'll see you uh pretty soon next week i think i'm messing with the algorithm and this whole uh this whole thing here this whole podcast ordeal um so I'll leave you with Gothic chick at Applebee's Gothic chick at Applebee's She'll bring you to your knees She'll bring you to your knees And uh, reminiscent of uh, The college band I had With my buddy Jonathan uh, Zombie Fetish in our first album Cold, Dead and In My Bed That's, uh, That was the track from First track Gothic chick at Applebee's It'll all make sense in the next episode It's all going to tie together It'll blow your mind Applebee's, Pete DeSnow, Fight Club, and this crazy girl from Chowchilla that I know. All right. Subscribe. Bye.